God has always sent His followers to reach the lost and restore the broken through blessing. First through Abraham and now as followers of Christ, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to the world. And one of the most important ways that we are called to bless our world is inviting others into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Bless is a new way of thinking about loving our neighbor as a natural part of our everyday life. We do this through five simple missional practices to help our unchurched family and friends journey towards faith in Christ. Good morning. Um, this morning's scripture is Mark 2, 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting, <coughs> sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many, ta many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come, <coughs> excuse me, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Good morning. So I feel like we're kind of doing a pageant today. There's been a lot of people up and around here speaking, but we are now at the sermon point um, for Sunday. My name is Garrett. Thank you guys for being here today. If you are visiting us, just a special warm welcome as well to you. Thank you so much for uh, visiting with us today. So today we're going to be talking about eating. Um, I'm not sure if it just kind of correlates with that, but I do love to eat, so I am an expert in that as well. So I'm pretty excited about this. I really am all for this message, and so hopefully as we get through this, you will be too. Um, but first, let's start, like, start out. So like I said, I like to eat, but I know that as a Minnesotan culture, I think Minnesotans, we all love to eat. Um, I grew up in um, a Baptist church, and so I grew up with potluck Sundays and fellowship dinners and kind of just being within that, there always seemed to be food wherever I was at. My family loves to cook. That's one way that we've connected throughout the years is by sharing recipes. Um, I still have my box of all my grandma's old recipes um, kind of saved from that going into the garbage. I have that box full of all those memories and all those history with that. And it's really fun to always flip through that because that's how my family really connects. But I think as a culture, especially in the Midwest, we just love to eat. And one of the best ways that I think we can show that is by um, the Minnesota State Fair. All right, it's basically 12 days of celebrating eating a lot of bad food for you. Um, and I go every year, almost every year, um, when I can convince my family and my wife to go. And it literally is that, where we just celebrate eating. We kind of have it down to a plan of here's what we're going to do. Here's all the places we're going to hit up. We don't really do the shows. We don't really kind of go through the vendor booths. We're just there to eat and eat and eat. And maybe walk, go to the birthing barn, and then eat some more. And that's about how it usually ends up. So I have some fun facts for you. I was like, you know what? This is something I want to check out. So Minnesota State Fair, 12 days out of the year. It's one of the largest fairs in the country um, in terms of population. 
Um, I think they broke multiple records this year. I think we had like the busiest Saturday that they've ever had. Just, I think they said that it's literally if the city of Rochester just picked up and went to the fair. That's how many people came on a Saturday. So I don't have the number right in front of me of the population of Rochester, but it's one of our bigger cities. And so it's pretty surprising that everyone just came in and went to the fair. And if you've ever been there, you're like, I can totally see that because it's just wall to wall of people. And so for some of you, this is not your thing. You hate this. If you don't like being around crowds, this is not, this is not your gig. Uh, but some other fun facts is there's about 300 food concession stands every year at the fair, and they serve up over 500 different dishes of food. Sweet Martha's cookie jar. How many of you have ever had Sweet Martha's cookies? It's kind of funny because a lot of people are like, they're just warm cookies. And it's like, I get it. They are. There's nothing special, but they're delicious. Sweet Martha's cookie jar bakes 3 million cookies each day. So in terms of that, the third largest city in the United States is Chicago at 2.7 million people. So Sweet Martha's cooks more cookies than the city of Chicago every single day. Comes about 36 million cookies every year. The milk stand serves over 25,000 gallons of milk. It wouldn't be complete. My family, we have to do it this way. You buy a big old bucket of those cookies and you go to the all-you-can-drink milk stand. I mean, that's just a win-win. We usually do it at the, at the end, and that's the worst, because then you just feel, like, awful as you're leaving the fair. <laughs> but we do it every year. It's tradition. But the milk stand serves over 25,000 gallons of milk during the fair. It would take an average cow around 10 years to produce that much milk. So good thing we have more than just one cow at that fair. <laughs> and then finally, another favorite is the fresh-cut French fry booth. They go through more than 4,000 pounds of Minnesota-grown potatoes and 25,000 pounds of ketchup. So if you need any other statistics with that to show that Minnesotans love to eat, I think the fair is just a great way to do that. It's just within our culture, we just we love food. And I think it's great that we love food. I think God has given that for us to love. Um, and I think Jesus really loved food. He saw it as a great vehicle to share his love and his truth. So just like the Minnesota State Fair, food plays a major role in the Bible. Food and eating are mentioned almost 200 times in just the Gospels alone. We're in a series called Bless. We're talking about how God has a mission to reach and restore people. Bless takes five key missional practices we see in the life of Jesus and then apply them to our own life. And we've talked about a couple. We have B, which was begin with prayer. Um, and then we had L, which was listen with care. And the today is going to be E, eating together. Jesus understood the cultural and physical importance of eating and included it in his mission while on earth. Let's just take a look through Luke just to give you an idea of how important this was in Jesus' mission. So going through Luke, Luke, if you would just kind of look through, we basically start out, so Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. So we saw that within the book of Mark, we saw that passage being um, expressed today. And then we get into Luke 7, Jesus forgives a sinful woman at dinner. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats with Mary and Martha. Luke 11, Jesus eats with Pharisees and with lawyers. Luke 14, Jesus heals a sick man during the Sabbath feast. Luke 14 is the parable of the wedding feast that he tells at that feast. And also he has a parable of the great, ba uh, great banquet, Luke 14. Also, the parable of the prodigal son, which, if you know that story well, that ends in a feast. Luke 19 is Jesus eats with Zacchaeus. Luke 22 is the Last Supper. 
Um, we could include, I didn't, but we could include when Jesus is on the cross and he asks for um, vinegar and they give that to him. I didn't really count that, but you could if you wanted to, if you love list. Luke 24, Jesus incarnate eats with two men on the road to Emmaus. And Luke 24, Jesus incarnate eats with his disciples. I find that extraordinary as I was kind of going through and getting the sermon together that eating played such a major role. For, you know, first off, I was like, I can make a really funny joke where, boy, I think Jesus was Minnesotan. I'm like, ah, that might be sacrilegious, so maybe not. But in a way, that's not what it is. But I think it was just funny. I think it's interesting that Jesus used eating together as something that was just so integral in what he was doing with that. And the question needs to be then, why? Why is eating together so important? If this is in the Bible so many times and we see Jesus acting upon this, we probably should take note. This is something that Jesus probably wants us to see and to emulate in our own life. And we're going to get into that. But first, let's talk a little bit about mealtime in the time of Christ, because it was different than what we have now. Um, sharing a meal with a person was very time-intensive at this time. You didn't have microwaves. You didn't have conventional ovens. Um, we didn't have fast, they didn't have fast food. So it was not Hot Pockets or Ramen Noodle kind of affair. It, was, it took hours to prepare and so this was very time-intensive um, for the people who were preparing the meals, but also the people who took part in the meals. It wasn't something that you'd rush through. You'd take your time, and you'd really enjoy the company around you. Meals were important symbols of broader social relationship and identity. It wasn't just about what you wore or what kind of camel you owned. You know, we could say car today. But mealtime and what you served during your meals really showed how wealthy you were, what your status was in society, and what your guest status was in society. So it played a much bigger role than just getting together and eating together. Food was also a social substance currency, basically the same. This was like their clothing and cars of the day. If you could serve things that were very highly expensive, it looked good on you. And we kind of do this still to today. You know, somebody might bring over a really expensive bottle of wine, and if you're me, you bring over a cheap bottle of wine, and in People like the cheap bottle of wine better than the more expensive one. Who would have thought? <laughs> Some meals signified important traditions in history. Throughout the Bible, we see that there are meals that the Jewish people, the Israelites, would celebrate to either represent something important, to represent an event that was important, and it was a way for them to teach history to generations um, down the line and kind of to help them see that. We see that with pa Passover um, is one. We see that with the Sabbath feast, and there are many Old Testament ones that we can point to. Just for sake of time, I won't. And then a person's diet defined who they were as a person. If you were a Jew, you had a kosher diet. You did not eat like everyone else. If you were a Gentile, you had a diet that was different. If you were unclean, you probably ate a diet that was different. So even what you ate would signify your status in society. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Jesus is walking into and what he's working with when he's eating with people. Think about this as well. As I was reading through this, you know, I realized that you know, Jesus' ministry time period, if you take that time period, was around three, three and a half years. That was Jesus' whole time period. And we see that Jesus is stopping and kind of eating through his ministry with people. Um, and with that, with eating taking as much time as what it was, it really needs to make you kind of stop and think, why did Jesus take so much time? Like, he had a mission to do, right? He had to tell people about him and about the gospel and that he was who they were waiting for. And yet he seems to kind of take his sweet time doing that. 
He was the one that would sit there and eat dinner with people and explain himself. And so we have to ask, why did he spend so much time in that? And to kind of let you know, it went against the cultural norms of the religious day. So who was rewarding of God's favor? Who was rewarding of God's love? You know, you wouldn't eat with your enemy. Jews and Gentiles would not eat together. Jews and Samaritans would not share a meal together. That was just something you did not do. You would not break bread with someone that you did not like. You would not break bread with the unclean, the outcast, anyone that society kind of has said that they're not allowed in our society. You would not dare invite them over and break bread with them either. And granted, you, you know, even if you just dislike somebody, you probably wouldn't share a meal. Meals are expensive, time-consuming. You're not going to waste on people you don't like. Jesus uses food and meals to teach his disciples and others about the gospel and who he was. We see that um, what scripture was read today kind of boggled the minds of the uh, leaders of that time, the religious leaders of the time, of why would Jesus waste time eating with sinners and tax collectors? And they always think it's kind of funny, like, you know, tax collectors have their own, their own little pocket that they're, they're, not, they're not just part of the sinners, they're tax collectors. I always find that really funny. It's kind of like with us and lawyers. It's like, you know, yeah, you have awful people and then you have lawyers. And I can make that joke. I have friends who are lawyers, so I can make that joke. Um, but with that, it's just interesting that the religious leaders of the time see Jesus doing this. He's eating with the unclean. He's eating with the unpopular. He's eating with those who have been outcasted from society, and he's welcoming them in. When you sat down and ate with somebody, you acknowledged who they were as a person. They gained identity in you sharing a meal with them. And so the religious leaders could not believe that Jesus, who is going around saying he's the son of God, would dare eat with the unclean, would dare have a meal with the Gentiles. That wasn't for them. That was for the religious people, or so they thought. And Jesus completely flips that around, saying that, no, I have come to save the sinners. I'm not here to save the righteous who think that they are good and who think that they already have it all together. I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to you know, bring those into the kingdom of God. He also used meals to share and show people that he cared for all people. There's not just a certain sect of people who you know, are welcomed into God's forgiveness. There's not just a certain group. There's not a certain race. There's not a certain background. There's not a certain social economic status. You don't have to pay something to gain this truth. It's welcoming for all. The gospel is for everyone and to everyone. And then finally, simply put, food connects mind, body, and soul. There's just something about when you share a meal with somebody, it's, it's just an innate need that we all have. If we wouldn't eat, we would die. And it's, just, it's interesting that when we share that meal together, not only are we getting nourishment physically for our body, but we're also getting nourishment for our soul. We're getting nourishment for our mind. It's something that brings kind of all our oneness of humanity together. And I love that because I think Jesus, in a way, was showing that as well, is that Jesus wasn't just God. He was also a man. He needed to eat. He needed to have fellowship. He wanted to build relationship. Um, and when I was kind of going through this, I think one of the most interesting times is in Luke 24 when Jesus incarnate. So after he has risen from the dead and appears to the disciples on the beach and they come back from fishing, Jesus has a meal ready for them of fish over the fire, which for me, I'm like, ah, I would have taken pancakes, but hey, whatever. But it's interesting because Jesus eats with them. He shows them that, you know, I'm not just a ghost here. I'm not just a figment of your imagination, but I'm physically eating with you. 
It showed once again that his risen body was physical. I just think that's just so interesting and so awesome that God, even in the little details, just was like, you know what? They're going to probably wonder. It's the same way where he says, hey, put your hands in my wounds. See that I'm real. See that I'm physical. So then Jesus had three years to accomplish his work, and he spent much of that time eating with people and making sure that that was kind of in the forefront of his strategy. And so for us, I think we need to also then make this a forefront of our strategy and eat with people. And so we're going to go over just a couple things of what we see from eating together and what we get for that. The first one, pretty obvious, and I've kind of already said this, is nourishment. We see that God cares and loves us because he provides for us. We see this in Exodus 16, where God feeds the Israelites, even in the midst of their complaining and their distrust and disobedience with God, he still feeds them. He could have left them, been like, hey, spend for yourself in the desert, have fun with that one, but he feeds them. First Kings 17, he feeds Elijah, and he, he kind of does it by the Bible fast food way of feeding him by ravens. So if you've ever wondered how fast food worked back in the time of Jesus, it was by bird. So pretty interesting Psalm 34 um, tells us, this is David writing Psalms, and he says that taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, food tastes good. Unless you're eating vegetables, most food tastes good. And I think God has created that. Like, isn't that great? Like, what a loving God to make food that tastes wonderful and tastes delicious. You know, whenever I see my dog eating dog food, I'm like, I wonder, I've never tried, so don't ask me. But I've always wondered, I'm like, I wonder if dog food tastes good. And it's just like, you know, because it's a pellet form, honestly, like, it can't taste that great. And that's how Jesus could have made us, is that we just would eat tasteless pellets and get nourishment from that. Or we could be like a plant and just get nourishment from the sun, and we photosynthesize everything in our body. But God creates food that tastes good, that we can enjoy and share. I think that just shows this the loving care of God, is that he's even willing to kind of go and create all these different varieties of food for us to enjoy. And then finally, John 21 we see that Jesus multiple times will be feeding people and he feeds his disciples. And that is that he takes care of them and he builds relationship. And that goes into our next reason of why eating together, and this is where we're going to mostly land for the rest of the day, is relationship. God shows our need for him through food and through eating together. Is that it's not really about food. We don't eat with people because it's a great thing to do, it tastes good, or because we just love to eat. We're eating with people because behind that, this is how we build relationship. And, you know, for some of you who are wondering, like, does coffee shops count? You know, does going out for tea count? Stuff like that. And I would say, yes, this is all considered eating together when we take intentional time and spend it with one another. Um, and we might see, um, you know, you might say, okay, well, that's not for everyone. Like, is it? And I would say, yes, it is. Jesus calls all of us, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, Jesus calls for all of us to be missional. We're all called to go out and to preach the good news of the gospel to those who have never heard. And so each and every one of us, and some of us are like, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm not called to a foreign country. And I'd say, okay, that's fine. But then you're called here. If you're going to Afghanistan tomorrow, that's your mission field. You, your mission field will be Afghanistan. But if you're not, your mission field is here. Your mission field is at home. And, you know, I think when we talk about that, and my wife works for a missions college, so I kind of get this tug and pull of, you know, where should we be putting our strategies and where should we be putting our focus? Um, and I think it's everywhere. I think we need to make sure that we are preaching the gospel everywhere. Because, you know, just to let you know, America is 
going through a phase, right? Or hopefully it's a phase. But uh, America's going through a time period here where Christian, Christians and Christianity is super confusing for a lot of people. And I have a survey that I looked up. And I work for government, so I understand that I'm not going to put all my bags or all my eggs into a survey because you're only getting a certain population. You're only getting a segment. But it's still, it's still good to see, and still it helps you kind of see trends. And so this survey that came out by LifeWay Research on October 17th of this year, so it's very current, says that 66% of people, so in the United States, believe that people are good by nature. So more than half, significantly more than half, 66% would claim that people are good by nature. Now, if you read the Bible, and if you, you know, go through this, it doesn't take very long to realize that people are not good by nature, that we are born sinners. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we're all here. If we were good by nature and we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need to be here. I could be doing something else on my Sunday morning. But since we're not good by nature and we need a Savior, this is why we're here. This is why we're telling people about Jesus. 57% of Jesus, the same study says that 57% of Jesus, and this is also evangelicals, so this is a scary thing, 57% of that group said that Jesus is the only way. So almost half said that Jesus was the only way for salvation. That should cause somewhat for us to be concerned that means that 43% of evangelicals think that Jesus is not the only way, that there are other ways to get into heaven. And once again, if you read the Bible, and if you read it completely in its entirety, you will realize that that's not the case. Now, some of you might be here. I, I was kind of going back and forth, like, should I share this? Should I share this? And I'm like, yes, I should. I believe this with all my heart. So there might be someone in the audience today who's like, I disagree with you, Garrett. I think there are other ways. And I would tell you, I would love to get lunch with you sometime. Let's eat together and let's talk about this. And see what I just did there? As I've opened a doorway to conversation. And that's what I think eating together is such a great idea, is because it is hard. It is hard to share the gospel with people, especially in this day and age. You can't just walk up to someone and be like, hi, I'm a Christian. Do you want to know about Jesus? Because what's your response going to be more than likely? No, I'm good don't talk to me, leave me alone, close the door. Right? We don't like people coming up to us because there's so many other things that people come up to us for. We're kind of desensitized to that. And also, sad to say, Christianity, we haven't had the best run in the last couple decades. There's been a lot of controversy and a lot of things that have kind of dragged Christianity through the mud. You know, I, I know for me, talking to people and talking to my friends who do not believe, Christianity is one of those like, oh, well, you know, you're archaic, you believe things that are not really true anymore, you're a bigot, you're hateful, you hate immigrants, you know, Christians voted for Trump, so therefore they're the worst. You know, there's just a lot of things that come into being a Christian, and there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. And I think eating together is a great way because that baggage is left at the door. And when you start eating with someone, you start to see who they really are as a person, you start to have that relational kind of that breakdown of the bias in that way. And I think it's good for us as well because we bring our own inherent bias into those conversations with those people. And so it's a breakdown. It's able to be something that you're doing together, you're eating together, you're enjoying that together, and you can just be real with one another. This just happened with me and my wife last night. We had dinner with our neighbors in our cul-de-sac, and we had a bunch of people come together and just share food and talk 
And it wasn't like me and my wife went into that, like, we're going to share the gospel to all these people, and everyone's going to hear about Jesus before we leave. But conversations just happened to pop up. With my wife, it was, where do you work? Oh, I work at a missions college. Well, what do you do? We share the good news of Jesus to other people in other nations. You know, or with us, it's like, oh, we see that you guys are always gone Sunday. Where are you, where are you at Sunday mornings? We go to church just down the road. It's a really nice church. You guys should come and visit sometime. See how we're able to build? It wasn't something that we were checking it off, making sure we're hitting everything, but we were just sharing the love of Jesus with people, just being relational and hospitable with people. In the same way, we see that Jesus did the same thing. He went and ate with the Pharisees, who really didn't like him. They hated him, and yet he would go and eat with them. He would share time with them. He would explain. You know, they would ask, who are you, and who do you think you are, and what are you doing, and why are you doing it? And he would just sit there and explain to them, here's what I'm doing, here's who I am, here's why I'm doing that. And the great thing about that as well is that you have more than one opportunity. It could be a time where, and we see this in the Bible as well, when Jesus has Nicodemus come to him later on and say, explain to me again about being born again. That didn't make sense at all, because you can't be born again physically, that makes no sense. And Jesus had to explain it to him once again. The same way when we eat and build relationship with one another, we're able to have more than one opportunity. And that's what I love about that, because I think too many times when we try to share the gospel or share relationship with people, we're always like, I have to know everything. I have to have it all together. I have to make sure that I hit everything just right. And we're always so scared about what's going to happen when somebody tells, you know, or somebody asks me a question I can't answer. Or what if they throw like the really hard one out that, you know, well, why, if God's a good God, why does he allow bad things to happen? I don't have that answer. Um, I don't. And I think what's great about that is that we're able to say, hey, you know what? I don't know that answer, but here's what I can do for you. I can go and find that answer for you. Let's meet up again and then talk about that. Or an even better way is like, hey, why don't you come with me to church and we'll both ask and find that answer. It's letting them know that you don't know it all because we don't. And there are things that we will never know and that we will always have questions about. And that's the struggle of faith and that's the wrestling of faith. And I don't know about you, but I've been doing that quite a bit in the last couple of months. And so with that, our mission is to build relationship with others. And it's not, the relationship is to build those who don't know Jesus, but I think at the same time, it's also dually important that we're building a relationship with one another. As a church community, and um, as a church family, I think it's important that we have that um, and that support group with that. And so the last, um, the last one with that is building community. God shows our need for community with that. Um, and I just want to share with that um, in the survey, that same survey I told you, um, alarming is that 58% think that worshiping alone, and this is evangelicals once again, thinking worshiping alone or with family is a replacement for church. And I just think that's really sad. Because for me, I realize that, you know, I think there are times and there are places where, yes, that has to be what it is. Maybe it's a physical, you know, maybe you're sick. Maybe you're not able to get to church physically. So I think there's times and places for that. But I think there's also something to be said about building a community around you who loves Jesus and who loves you. I think the church right now is going through that, of finding ways of we need each other. We can't do this alone. It can't just be me and Jesus. It just, it can't, I know for myself, it can't. It would not work. Um, I've been really frustrating. I've been really frustrated with God and really wrestling with him the past couple weeks here. And so 
It can't just be me and Jesus. I need other people around me to support me and to encourage me and to help me with my walk with God. And you know what? Jesus also did that as well. He had his disciples. And so with that, Mark 14, 12 through 25, I just want to read the Lord's Supper. I think it would be a crime if we were talking about eating together and we didn't talk about like one of the most famous suppers of all time, right? So Mark 14 and verse 12, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Think about this. This is right before Jesus is crucified. This is within the day, hours before. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have done with those very precious last minutes of his life on earth. And what does he do? He takes time to eat with his disciples. He takes time to explain things to his disciples one last time. Because if you, if you know the story well, you realize that his disciples are completely clueless almost all the time. They're not getting it. Jesus literally point blank tells them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, coming to Jerusalem. I'm going to die here soon. And all his disciples are just like, that's nice. All right, Jesus. What's next? And so Jesus is taking these sweet moments of his time. He spends time with his father in prayer. And he spends time with his disciples and with his community because you realize that that's important. This is, once he's gone, this is going to be the people that will take the truth and the gospel out to others. And so he takes that time to build that community up. He also takes that time because he's building that community not just for the sake of himself. I think there was encouragement within that, but more importantly, it was for the sake of his disciples. He was building that community for the sake of his disciples in the same way, that is where the church had its creation, and that's where we continue, is that we have community for the sake of ourselves, to encourage each other, to go out and to keep telling each other, we can do this. I know things look dark. I know things look hard. I know things you know, are not working in our favor, but we will continue to preach the gospel of the Lord because it's the truth. And I think right now there's a crisis in the church, and not, when I say church, I don't mean this church, I mean the church as a whole, but I think there's a crisis right now where we're asking questions. Does that really say that in the Bible? Like, we almost read the Bible like we're reading through tax codes. We're just looking for loopholes. It's not how we should be reading the Bible. Jesus says that this is the way, John 14, 6, or John 14, 6 says that Jesus says, he's like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? That's a pretty direct, clear verse. Yet why, then, do we have that percentage of people? Why do we see that, you know, over half would say and would argue that that's not the truth? So I think we need to encourage one another. I think we need to compel one another to be like, hey, I get it. This is hard. This doesn't make sense. I don't want this to be true either because I'm, I have friends that are going to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. I get it. It's hard. It's not easy. And it's something that I don't want to just be flippantly telling you, hey, whatever, it's the Bible, believe it. It's difficult, and it requires wrestling with that. And I think that's what's great about community is that we can wrestle together. We can support one another in that. And Jesus shows that as well. So how can we apply this to real life? First of all, I think before we take this out and share meals together and share a relationship together, it's important that we understand what we believe. 
And like I said, you don't need to have it all together. You don't need to know all the facts. But I think it's important that we have at least the core fundamentals of Christianity. Even that alone, I, I kid you not, people, last night um, when my wife was talking about Bethany Global University, the school that she works for, um, she talked about how the school is composed of people from different denominations and different areas um, of Christianity. And one of, the, one of our neighbors was like, oh, like different denominations stuff. So you mean like, you know, like what the Muslims and Buddhists believe, stuff like that. My wife was like, no. And she was able to say, these are the fundamentals that we stand on. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is the only way to heaven. She shared that last night. Like that was the door that was open. Like she was able to share that with them. And I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful experience to be able to have with someone. So understand your need for Christ. Understand, you know, the core fundamentals of what does it mean to be a Christian. And then with that, it's intentionally and wisely taking time to invest in people. As Americans, we don't have time. I get it. I don't have time. I have kids. I work full time. I have extracurriculars that I'm involved with. I volunteer. I literally do not have time. But I'm called to have time. I'm called to make time with people. And so invest in people. Invest in relationships. I know it takes time, and I know it's really easy to kind of write it off and say, nope, 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 don't have time, can't do this. But take time then. Invest in people. Things are going to go by the wayside. If you love to fix cars, guess what? They're eventually going to break down. If you love to plant plants, they're eventually going to die, especially because you live in Minnesota. It's just going to happen. So it's great to have these things, and it's great to find joy in them. That's great. But know that people are eternal. People are eternal, and so that should then make us and lead us to invest time in them. And finally is be thankful for what you have. Use this time to show as you are eating and as you're having a relationship. See that. Be thankful for what you have, but then don't just hoard it. If God has given you the blessing of a large house with a large dining room, fill it. If, people has given, if God has given you the blessing of having time where you're surrounded by people or coworkers or a lot of people don't know Jesus, use that. Invest in those people. And I'm guilty of this too. It's always so easy for me at work to kind of just be like, I got my own stuff to do during lunch. I'm just going to go and do those things instead of actually sitting with my coworkers and sharing a meal with them. It's so easy to kind of be selfish and be like, nope, this is my break time. I'm going to go do it somewhere else. And as I've been doing this, God has been compelling me of like, you should be eating with them and sharing relationship with them. And take baby steps. You don't have to throw yourself out there. If coffee shops were around in Bible times, Jesus would have been all at coffee shops. He would have been inviting people all the time into coffee shops to talk about himself and talk about their life. Because we see that throughout the gospel that Jesus is very intentional with people of sitting down with them, sharing life with them, and sharing truth with them. And so that may be your blessing today as well, is may you share life with them. May you be intentional about sharing time with people and then share the truth with people. And you don't have all the answers, that's fine. Have another meal together. Because once again, we said food is good, food is fun. It's great to have those times together, but let's be intentional about that. Let's break down those barriers. Let's break down those walls by using food as a way to kind of work into the heart and soul of people. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, thank you for speaking through me, Lord, as I am a wreck. Um, and so may your words go out and may they plant into our hearts and to our souls, Lord. I pray that anything that was just of me would fall by the wayside, but the things of you would stick and would grow. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have given us food as an example of not just our physical nourishment needs, but also our spiritual needs. 
Lord, we thank you that you are able to love us in ways, um, some of the tiniest ways, to show your love and satisfaction in us, Lord. And I pray that you just give us boldness and that you just give us um, just the tools that we can do to just share a relationship with people, to share the love of Christ and to share truth of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.